This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, a few weeks ago, there was a big brouhaha about this ad that J. Crew sent out in their email blast. Mm-hmm. And it showed um, a, a person who works at J. Crew, a woman with her young son. And she said, like, a perfect Saturday is hanging out with my son, and he likes to have his fingernails painted pink. It was to- it was his toenails. Oh, his toenails. Nails. <laughs> Nails were getting pink. Yes. And everyone flew off the handle. Oh, yeah. Everyone thought this was insane that, you know, she was going to... I think one person said that she should go ahead and start putting away the money for psychotherapy now. Yeah, there was one conservative media group that really had a problem with this J. Crew ad and linked it to like advocating transgender issues. It was, it was really interesting to see how something that small, the image of a woman painting her very young son's toenails pink, Mm -hmm. set off such a public outcry. Well, you know, what we've got ingrained in our society, for better or for worse, is this idea that men don't wear makeup. And especially a young boy who couldn't choose whether he was going to wear makeup or not shouldn't be wearing makeup. Mm -hmm. So we thought we'd investigate a little more of this connection between men and makeup. Did they ever wear it? Why do they not wear it now? Might they wear it in the future? Yeah, if we go way, way back to the Egyptians, and I feel like we start with the Egyptians so often, but of course... Egyptian men wore makeup. They used the thick eyeliner to ward off the evil eye. Roman men also used chalk-based foundation to brighten up their complexions. And then you have dandies like Louis XV and his court, who, where it was uh, in fashion to wear lots of lead-based makeup and rouge. Mm. And, and I think that we all have an image in this country of the founding fathers with their powdered wig, yeah. which while not exactly makeup, shows a certain vanity. Mm-hmm. But all things change with old Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin. Who, while the American Revolution is going on, says, hey, you know what? The people who wear wigs, those are our enemies. That, that's what we left behind. Yeah. The people who wear wigs are European, British, French. We're American. We're European dandies and we're American men. We are what will become Marlboro men, these these ultimate symbols of masculinity. Yeah. And he threw away his powdered wig forever. And with that sparked the great masculine renunciation. Yes. And uh, that term comes courtesy of Teresa Riordan, who wrote a great book called Inventing Beauty, which has what might be my favorite Martin Van Buren fun fact, because there aren't that many Martin Van Buren fun facts. You've got to share this. So when you find one, you stick with it. Yeah. And this is a good one. All right. So it's 1830. Martin Van Buren is up for his second presidential term. And 
things do not go well when he is the victim of a smear attack. When old Congressman Charles Ogle from Pennsylvania, quote, accused the president of, among other vices, effeminacy, the Honorable Mr. Ogle then proceeded to reveal the contents of President Van Buren's dressing table, which included double extract of Queen Victoria, Corinthian oil of cream, <gasps> concentrated Persian essence, and extract of eglantine. Overnight, Van Buren became the laughing stock of America and his days of political service were over. A presidency brought down by face cream. Can you believe it? I can believe it. Yeah. You know, we flipped out over, you know, a certain presidential candidate's pricey haircut. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things do come into scrutiny. So the question is, that was in 1830. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward to now, you know, past David Bowie uh, and glam rock and all that. Are men still scared of makeup? Mm. GQ survey from 2005, which perhaps things have changed radically in the past six years. But their survey says, yes, they are terrified of makeup. Yes. Let's say that you have to choose between makeup and great sex. What do you think a man would pick? Sex. Well, the GQ survey found that 92% of men would not wear makeup, even if it guaranteed them a more fulfilling sex life. They are going to not put on makeup, even if they can have great sex. But the same survey found that 65% of men thought plastic surgery was acceptable, but only 14% would consider using makeup for the same 25% salary increase. So men would rather go under the knife than get paid to put some makeup on. So clearly what we've got here from this survey of admittedly not maybe the the most representative population of men Mm -hmm. is that makeup is a no-go. You know, not even for good sex. They'd rather have surgery than wear it. And this might be more of an American thing because European retailers have had more success selling men's cosmetics and also um, lines in Asia have also taken off. So this could be an American dude thing that we can all blame on Ben Franklin. But all the same, some researchers are finding that maybe men are the next great untapped makeup market because they probably are the only people who aren't tapped yet. Um, and according to a New York Times 2010 article, American consumers spent $4.8 billion on men's grooming products in 2009. Now, that's nowhere close to what women spend. Um, yeah, nowhere close. We're not saying that all men are putting on the guy liner and the manscara. But people are thinking if they start uh, emphasizing that uh, cosmetics, you would never call it makeup when talking to a man, Cosmetics can help men cover up flaws, whereas they sell uh, makeup to women as a way to enhance beauty. So I think it'll be really interesting kind of keep an eye on this and see if that, you know, double way of selling makeup might work. And different brands have played around with ways to make the idea of makeup more palatable to the male ear. You mentioned enhancement. Some uh Some products will be labeled enhancement products for guys, whereas it's actually just kind of makeup. (laughs) There's also men's aesthetic enhancement, complexion enhancers, uh, and then instant skin enhancement. It's all about enhancing and focusing on things like covering up razor burn and just improving their skincare. And really when it comes to men's grooming products, that $4.8 billion that you're talking about, a lot of it is skincare, which would be non-shaving products like facial cleansers, moisturizers, and exfoliants. So they're still not necessarily 
buying tons of tubes of lipstick or yeah. blush or things like that. But dudes are definitely paying more attention to their faces. Yeah. I mean, you got to wonder, is it how how far away of is it to go to go from buying some eye cream to buying some mascara and make your eyes pop? Well, it seems like the most uh, traditional type of cosmetic, like when I think of makeup, you know, I think of foundation and blush and things like that. It seems like concealer mm. is very popular to men. There are, you know, anecdotal stories in the New York Times and other places that would talk about the masculine husband stealing concealer <laughs> from his wife. And, you know, the thing that we can't answer, I mean, we can sort of speculate on American notions of masculinity and the like, but for the guys out there, would you ever wear it? And for everyone else, would you want to date or marry a guy who spent a lot of time putting on his face as the ladies are known to do? I mean, that's sort of the thing that a lot of these manufacturers are trying to step lightly over, this idea that men don't wear makeup. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's a lot of money to be made there if some guy finds an eyeliner that he loves. And I do think that it's become a lot more culturally acceptable for men to demonstrate a little more vanity than they would True. have in the past. Back in the days of the, you know, the rugged Marlboro man. Mm-hmm. You know, he wouldn't, the Marlboro man would, you know, wouldn't use an exfoliant. <sighs> no. But, but yeah, there, but, um, you know, we've talked before about how looking good in the office can get you paid more. And we've all been to bars where it's sort of a meat market. So, Perhaps there's a little bit of equality coming into play where just as much, um, just as many men are spending time worrying about how they look as women have been known to do in the past. And one guy theorized that maybe this rise in male vanity is linked to their loss of economic authority with the recession. Um, he was saying that, quote, the ascent of technology has eroded traditional markers of masculinity. And now, you know, men typically don't have to perform physical labor, nor are they the sole breadwinners. So it's now shifted, I guess, to these more superficial aspects mm-hmm. of their appearance and making it allowing them to uh, to pay more attention to their skin. And also, Molly, we got to talk about plastic surgery. We do, because, you know, I cited that thing from the GQ survey that men would rather have cosmetic surgery than wear makeup. Mm-hmm. I mean, if something's got to be fixed, if some eyes are getting droopy, you're not going to waste time with the creams and the lotions. And there's a very um, small bump that might bear out that statistic. Again, it's not anything like women in plastic surgery, but in March 2011, it was reported that overall cosmetic surgery procedures in men, so that includes both surgical and just minimally invasive procedures, rose 2% in 2010 over the previous year. So, you know, a small percentage of men are in there getting their facelifts, some Botox, some liposuction, nose reshaping. Um, you know, it's it's certainly not, I, I do think we'll see a lot more marketing in coming years geared towards men and not just towards women. Yeah, even though women still get 91% of the cosmetic procedures, um, men's cosmetic procedures are absolutely on the rise. And uh, just for fun, you mentioned nose reshaping. That is the most popular surgical procedure by number for men in 2005. And number four, breast reduction Yeah, for men. Well, everyone's worried about their weight. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not something we can definitively say whether makeup's coming back, whether it's not. But the thing I'll be interested in hearing either on Facebook or on Twitter or by email is what you guys would do when confronted with a man wearing makeup. Would you respect him more, respect him less? Would you notice? Would you think it looked good? Would you think it looked awful? Just, you know, is our society ready for men in makeup or 
Is it, or are we too tied up in sort of our traditional ideas of what masculinity is in this country? Masculinity and beauty. You know, does yes. beauty require makeup? Should yes. women wear less and, you know, meet the men or should men start wearing more and meet up with the women? Fascinating stuff. So we, we turn it over to you guys to answer that question. And in the meantime, we shall read some listener emails. I have one here from Kathy about the Love at First Sight podcast. And um, I really love this story because it involves tacos. So here we go. Kathy writes, I definitely experienced love at first sight with my current boyfriend. Unfortunately, I was eating a giant taco at the time he came into my field of vision. So introducing myself right then didn't seem like the sexiest move. Side note, to some people, giant tacos are a huge, huge appealing factor. Inside note. He was friends with other friends of mine, and I was lucky enough to run into him again later that day at an outdoor 4th of July film festival. I had gone home and put on a lovely little dress and refreshed my makeup so it was game time. We were all standing around in a group, and when our eyes met, I introduced myself. He said, let's go get a better seat, and took my hand and pulled me away from our friends and through the crowd while fireworks burst overhead. How romantic. We sat down, and I accidentally bumped my knee on an old set of railroad tracks that were in the back lot where we were watching the movie, and it hurt pretty badly. Nice thing, though, is that that venue hosts weddings as well, and those very train tracks are what they use as the aisle. Well, I have a love at first sight story here from Eric, and it is brief, but yes, very sweet. I saw a girl in engineering class, and the thought flashed in my head, she looks cool, I could marry that chick. The second thought was, what a stupid thought that was, where did that come from? So after meeting in class, I asked her to a craft fair. We will be celebrating our 17th anniversary on May 28th. So happy belated anniversary, Eric and your radical wife. And always trust your gut. I guess. If that's I guess your first so. thought. <laughs> yeah, sure. And apparently women really dig craft fairs. Just a hint to guys out there if you're looking for uh, something to do with the woman who caught your eye. I retire from dating advice now. And if you would like some wonderful insight on makeup that we've been talking about in this podcast, I highly recommend going over to HowStuffWorks.com and looking up the article, How Makeup Works, written by Molly Edmonds. That's me. That's you. And we'd like to hear from you, too, over on Facebook and follow us over on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And also, during the week, you can head over to our blog. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear 
Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.